Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this evening's presentation in the last week of Freedom from Fear. I'm very happy to see you. God bless you as you come on in and take your seats. While you're doing that, may I see the hands of those who are with us for the first time, please. All right, one hand went up quickly over here, right to my left. Anyone else to the right? Yes. I can't. All right. Yes, I see you. If I block the light, I see you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Way up where people suffer nosebleeds, high up in the bleachers or the seats up there. God bless you. Wherever you are, the Word of God will reach you. Reach you. I am very privileged to be with you. Take that as a serious statement. I am highly privileged to be here in this position to deliver God's Word. And I pray that as I speak from time to time, someone will say, Lord, Give that man the right words to say. It is important that you do that because I am flesh and bones as you are. We need divine help anytime we handle spiritual things. Thank you for coming. Let's bow our heads and pray. <clears throat> Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for being so good. We thank you, Lord, for the expression of your love in the gift of your only begotten Son. When you give him, you give all that you had. Now, Lord, touch our hearts that we might be willing to come to the place where we give to you all that we have. Father, remove from our hearts selfishness and fill us with the self-sacrificing love of Christ. Tune our ears to hear the word of truth. Take possession of my mind and keep it pointed in the direction of truth, I pray, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be acceptable in your sight. I offer this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. A few years ago, I read something I did not believe. When you hear it, you might not believe either. Apparently, someone in Florida whose property was severely damaged by the yearly floods and uh, tornadoes and hurricanes that come through there took God to court. I believe in the language of the courts. There's something called an act of God. The person sued God for the damage from the hurricane. And what amazed me, if not amused me, was the fact that the case was accepted pending the appearance of God in court. <laughs> so if he had shown up there would have been a prosecution against him for an act of God. I don't know where this expression originated, an act of God, referring to an act of climatic or meteorological destruction. But I don't understand why God is almost invariably blamed for the destruction arising from changes in weather patterns, and no one considers blaming the devil. The devil gets off scot-free. No blame. And God, who is love, who sent his son to die, he is always held responsible for every natural and unnatural disaster. Now, I should say that there are some disasters God sends. 
You know, God says, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, and I'm not telling you where because I don't want you to turn, I want you to listen, that there be no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence upon my people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heed their land. This passage clearly tells us there are times when God deliberately sends calamities. But he never sends them without a cause. And he only sends them when he has exercised enough patience without doing damage to his justice. But God is not responsible for every disaster because the devil is referred to in Scripture as the prince of the power of the air. Our subject tonight, who is the devil? Who is the devil? I was quite nervous as I was preparing my thoughts because I did not want the devil to know what I intended to talk about. Now, you laugh innocently. Let me tell you why. As we discuss the autobiography, well, the biography of the devil, we will discover that he is an extremely wise being. You know, parents can look into the faces of children and fairly accurately determine what the child is thinking. Parents can do that. Well, if parents can do that, the devil can do that because he was made wise by God. And so the devil looks at what preachers intend to preach. Then he identifies people who need to hear the message. Then he puts them in traffic jams so they can't get to the church. He makes members of the family sick. He brings other responsibilities that have nothing to do with eternal life and people, instead of coming to hear the word, they go to these things and by so doing, the devil keeps people away from hearing what they need to hear. And so I tried, I tried, I opened my Bible, and I went to passages I did not intend to preach about. That if he looked over my shoulder, he might be misled. Now, I have no power to deceive the devil, but I must do what I can do, and I know he's listening to me now. That's why I do all my sermon preparation in my head. I don't want him to get any advantage in knowing what I intend to talk about. So I'm not writing out anything. That's my personal conviction the Lord has laid on me as a preacher. Keep it up here. Because the devil cannot actually and accurately read the contents of your mind. Now he can look at your face and make some good guesses. Who is the devil? Now, I don't want you fascinated by the devil. I want you fascinated by Christ. I want you moved by his sacrifice. I want you to understand that everything Jesus gave, he gave to you as an individual, not the person next to you. You must absorb that fact. Whatever Jesus Christ did, he did for you on an individual basis. I realize that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. But you need to understand, your personal life is your own world. God loved you. 
Meaning, if you had been the only person on the earth to sin, Christ would have come to die for you. When Jesus shed great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane and an angel had to be sent to sustain him or he would have perished in his humanity, that is, he did that for you as an individual. Not the, Forget the person next to you for now. He did it for you. Understand that. Who is the devil? Let's go to Isaiah chapter... Let's go to Ezekiel first. Chapter 28. The book of Ezekiel 28. We shall read... From verse 12 or 11. Ezekiel 28, reading from verse 11. Ezekiel 28, reading from verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, the king of Tyrus was a historical figure. But sometimes in scripture, God speaks to someone else through another person. Remember in Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23, when Jesus showed his disciples how he must go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Verse 22 of Matthew 16, the Bible says, Then Peter took him aside and rebuked him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Peter was trying to keep Christ from dying for you and for me and for him, not knowing it. Verse 23, Then Jesus turned and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, to whom was Jesus really speaking? The devil. Because Peter was not Satan. But Satan was working through Peter in that instant. Standing in the presence, I'm digressing as usual, standing in the very presence of Christ, the devil was working through Peter. Listen to me. You and I must be alert moment by moment. We think it takes the devil 10 years to get us in trouble. Mm, he takes one second. Do you know how many accidents occur on the highway because someone looked down for one second? And by the time the person has looked up, the person has spun twice. Someone performing some surgery. You look around, cut the wrong thing. Someone's dead. That quick. And so Jesus spoke to Satan, but Peter was the human agent. When the Lord said in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Christ was not really and primarily speaking to the serpent. He was speaking to Satan. How do we know that? In Romans chapter 16, verse 20. Paul writing says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your heels shortly. So we know that God spoke to Satan, but through the serpent that acted as his physical agent. Because the devil never comes to you as he is. Never. Not initially. He came to Eve as a serpent. He came to Christ in the form of Peter. He tried to, des to destroy Christ when Christ was just a few days old. Through Herod, Herod killed all the children under two years old in a certain area, trying to kill Christ. The devil didn't come himself. He used Herod. He always comes as someone else. This leads me to wonder, as I end my digression, in what form did the devil come to Christ in the wilderness? 
he could not have come as himself. He must have come as in some other form that appealed to Christ in his weakness. Because even a man hungry for 40 days will run from a monster. But if we go back to Ezekiel 28, reading verse 12. Thou sealest up the sun, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That was Lucifer, before he became Satan. Sealest up the sum I've told you before simply means in modern language, when God made Lucifer, what did he do? He broke the mold. Lucifer then was the highest expression of the creative ability of God. Let me say that again. Lucifer represented the most remarkable and astonishing example of God's ability to create. More than any other angel in heaven, Lucifer was a brilliant expression of God's ability to bring something into existence. So the Bible says, thou sealest up the sum. To seal means to say, that's it, that's it. As if God is saying, I couldn't possibly make a more glorious creature. Notice I said, as if. A more glorious, God sealed it, Lucifer, that's it. Full of wisdom. And perfect in beauty. Forget the perfect in beauty for now. Keep in mind the full of wisdom. It is not with beauty that the devil gets you and me. It is by using his enormous wisdom to determine what temptation best suits you and me. The temptation that overthrows me may not overthrow you. The devil is selective. He studies us and he waits when he has us on sinking sand and he applies the greatest pressure. He is full of wisdom. A wisdom you and I cannot understand and with which we in our human power cannot contend let me say that again no human being however educated and smart he or she consider himself or herself to be can compete with the devil one on one not even the angels in heaven could do it only christ listen to me only christ can take on satan one on one understand that when you and i play with temptations full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 13 of Ezekiel 28. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Here now is a description of how he looked on the outside. The sardius, the topaz, and the diamond. The beryl, the onyx, and the jasper. The sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. Can you imagine that creature? Can you imagine that? Now, the Bible doesn't say that Lucifer was covered with jewelry. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says every precious stone, that you and I have skin. And to beautify our skin, we put on 
cream. And what else people put? Moisturizers and uh, relaxers. Or is that for your hair? I'm not sure. And we put on uh, deep cleansers and shallow cleansers and all kinds of things that cost a lot of money and actually do nothing at all. A little fresh water, eight glasses a day will do much more for you. And we put on all these things to beautify the skin. The Bible says Lucifer was naturally covered. He didn't take it off and put it on. That was his covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. Ten precious metals. And perhaps there were more not mentioned. A glorious creature made by God. Aye, he had a voice. Verse, next verse, or the second part. As we continue, verse 13. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was what? Created. Lucifer was created. Now, the workmanship. What does that mean? What does it mean? The workmanship. God made Lucifer's voice box. But when he spoke, when he sang, you heard the sound of a tablet and pipes. I'm trying in my own limited way to try to describe what it must have been. Lucifer's voice was a musical instrument. Made by God himself, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee. Sometimes I listen to music, classical music sometimes, and I hear these men sing. And these women sing. And literally, this is what I, I, am I studying, I'm reading, I'm relaxing. And I say, Lord, please, I would love to sing like that for five minutes. If I could sing like that, I wouldn't talk. Everything I had to say, I would sing it. May I have a glass of water, please? <laughs> Beautiful voices. Tabrets and pipes in Lucifer. Verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so now. What is a cherub? A cherub is a special angel, a high angel. Remember, if you read Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, the Bible says, So he drove out the man and set at the east of Eden cherubim, angels to guard the entrance of the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life. Cherubim, in Genesis 3, 24, is plural. The I am makes the word plural in the Hebrew. In Ezekiel 28, verse 14, we don't have cherubim. We have what? Cherub, singular. In other words, Lucifer was the cherub. The Bible says, Thou art the anointed cherub, means God not only made Lucifer, but God hand selected him for a particular task. The task of the covering cherub. The covering cherub refers to an angel that functioned in the very presence of God. More than any, not all angels were cherub. Or cherubim. Lucifer. There was Father, Son, 
Holy Ghost than Lucifer. Right next to God, like an aide-de-camp or personal bodyguard. The Bible says, I have set this so, meaning Lucifer was an exalted being, exceeded in power only by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now, let's go to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus 28. As we continue, who is the devil? Exodus 28. Let's take a look at the high priest's part of his clothing. Whom does the high priest represent? Jesus Christ. And Christ desires to give us his what? Robe of righteousness, yes. Without righteousness, no one can be saved. Here's how the breastplate of righteousness of the high priest is described. Exodus 28, reading from verse 17. The Bible says, And thou shalt set it in settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The breastplate was a sort of a squarish looking cover that covered the chest, the heart of the high priest, and there were four rows of stones, three in each row. The rows represented the twelve tribes of Israel. He had a stone on one shoulder, a stone on the other, six stones here, six uh, tribes here, six over there. On the breastplate, thou shalt set it in settings of stone, even four rows of stone. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. Now keep your finger on Exodus 28, 17. Go back to Ezekiel 28, verse 13. Ezekiel 28, 13, Exodus 28, verse 17. Do we have those two? Look at the high priest. Let's start with Exodus 28, 17. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. Let's go to Ezekiel 28, verse 13. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond. What do you notice? Similar. There's only one stone different, but we'll come to that stone. Go back to Exodus 28. This shall be the first row. Verse 18. The second row shall be what? An emerald, a carbuncle, a sapphire, and a diamond. Let's go to Ezekiel 28, verse 13. The beryl, the onyx, the jasper. Now we will come to those three in the high priest. Now let's go back to Exodus 28, verse uh, this time verse 19. The third row is what? A liger, an agate, and amethyst. Now these three we don't find in Ezekiel 28, verse 13. So let's stay in Exodus 28, verse uh, 20 this time. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, a jasper. Now go back to Ezekiel 28, verse 13, and we'll see the middle three for, for Lucifer are a beryl, an onyx, a jasper. And for both, we have gold. For Lucifer in Ezekiel 28, 13, and gold. And if you go to Exodus 28, verse 20, we have, they shall be set in settings of gold in their enclosings. Now, what are we saying? Of the 13 stones on the high priest, Lucifer has 10. Now, there's some things I'll repeat throughout this series because I think you need to know. Repetition is a key technique for teaching. Here's Lucifer. Here's Christ. What do you notice? 
<laughs> they look alike. <laughs> they look alike. They look alike. Not only in outward appearance, but in character. They look alike. That's before Lucifer fell. They looked alike. By the way, that is still God's desire for us. Come on, I need more amens than that. God desires that when we behave and people study the life of Christ, they will say, well, who's Christ? There's a story. Let me digress. Come back to Lucifer and Christ. This man went to a little town to give Bible studies and raise up a church. Knocked on the door. Out came an old man. Bearded. Very pleasant. Started to give him some Bible studies about Jesus. As the Bible studies progressed, the old man said, you know, this fellow Jesus, I know him. The Bible worker said, you know him, but you're just finding out about him. He says, no, no, I know him. The Bible says, worker says, how do you know him? He lives down the street. <laughs> he lives down the street. Well, the Bible worker is suspecting some sort of mental imbalance. He, he's in heaven. No, he lives down the street. The Bible worker says, brother, I respect you, but no, no, no. Jesus is in heaven. The old man insisted, gee, if this is the guy you're talking about, he lives down the street. So the Bible worker was tiring of this. He said, show me. They walked out of the house down the street, went to another house and knocked. Out came another old fellow. And uh, the other guy said, there he is. <laughs> That's Jesus. <laughs> the Bible worker said, why do you say that? Because everything you told me about this fellow's character, how we treated people, how we handled difficulties, that's how he does it. That's Jesus. <laughs> my brothers and my sisters, Lucifer stood next to Christ. It was difficult to tell the difference. When you and I allow the fullness of Christ to be expressed in us, Christ himself will be seen in us. And this is no fantasy, no fable, no myth. It is a reality God desires with all his divine heart that we in our lives will reflect the fullness of the character of Christ. I didn't say the fullness of his divinity. I said the fullness of his character. That character he worked out on this earth with your nature and mine. But let's stay in Ezekiel 28. Verse 15, we continue, who's the devil? The Bible says, Ezekiel 28, verse 15, Thou wast perfect in thy ways. In the days that thou wast created, perfect. God makes nothing imperfect. That all the amen girl can get for doing a perfect, I said God makes nothing imperfect. Thou wast perfect in thy way in the day that thou wast created until iniquity was found in thee. That's all the Bible says about the origin of evil and sin and this corrupt nature that we have. Thou wast perfect in thy way in the day that thou wast created until iniquity somehow, mysteriously, was found in Lucifer. Go to verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up in thee because of thy what? Yes. We read in 28, 12, he was full of beauty, full of wisdom and 
perfect in beauty. Because of this, one of the contributing reasons to the addling of Lucifer's brain and thinking, the twisting of his mind, was his tremendous beauty. Remember when you were in high school, how stuck up the girl who thought she was the prettiest was? Remember that? The guy who thought he was, as we say, all that, how he acted. There's something about outward beauty that corrupts the inside. It's not inevitable, but it happens too frequently. I sharp, I am pretty, or I'm handsome. All of a sudden, I begin to act differently. You must kneel to me. Bow in my presence. Walk softly around me. Cater to me. Lucifer. His heart was lifted up because of his beauty. The verse goes on to say, Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness or splendor. How he looked on the outside. And of course, adding to that, the high position that he held, that is also external. Because the position you occupy is not internal. It's not who you are. It's what you do. Everything on the outside affected Lucifer on the inside. And somehow, sin began in this creature. Sin began with Lucifer. How? The Bible does not go into details. It simply says it begins with him. Now, let's add some more information to this biography of Lucifer. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Reading from verse 12. As we continue, who is the devil? Isaiah 14, reading from verse 12. The Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which this weakened the nation? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Now, what did he mean by that? Because heaven was where Lucifer worked. Why would he have to ascend into heaven? That's where he was. As the covering cherub, he was always in heaven, always in the presence of God. But you see, Lucifer was not one of the power brokers in heaven. That was reserved for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So when Lucifer said, I will ascend into heaven, he was expressing his desire to be as high as the Godhead, actually to take the place of Christ. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Ascend above the heights of the clouds. What clouds? There are no clouds in heaven. Clouds are the result of evaporation from the seas and the lakes and the rivers. Clouds carry rain. No rain existed until the flood. So there are no clouds in heaven. But of course, Paul speaks of us being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Clouds they refer to the beings in heaven, the angelic population. I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will be way above the angels so that they worship me. I will be, this sums up everything, like the most high. That's Christ. That's God. That's an ambition no one is authorized to harbor in his or her heart. Yet, verse 15 Thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. That's God's intention for Lucifer. 
yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Next verse. They that see thee shall look upon thee and narrowly consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? That did shake kingdoms? Is this the man? I have never seen the devil. Nor have you. Am I right? <laughs> nor have you. That made the world as a wilderness. And destroy the cities thereof. That opened not the house of his prisoners. Read the last part of 17 again. That opened not the house of his prisoners. Jesus came to undo what Satan has done. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, go there with me. 1 John 3, 8. As we continue, who's the devil? 1 John 3, 8. He that committeth sin is of what? The devil. Now, let me put your mind at rest. That does not mean who, he who makes a mistake. Are you with me? That verse does not mean he who makes a mistake or he who has an honest struggle with a particular weakness and is trying by the power of Christ to overcome. That's not the person referred to in that verse. He who practices sin is of the devil. You see, you are either of God or of the devil. And it is very difficult for people to swallow that. We try to find a middle ground, a middle source from which we can claim origin. There is not a third. There are two powers that control a man or a woman's mind. The power of God or the power of the devil. Those are the only two powers in the universe. And shortly, Jesus Christ will come to make sure that as it was in the beginning, it will be that way again. There will only be one power, the power of Christ. And all those who identify with the other power shall be wiped out as an act of loving justice. And so the Bible says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. Now, let's go to 1 John 3 verse 4. Same chapter, just four verses earlier. What does it say? Whosoever sinneth transgresseth also what? The law, for sin is a transgression of the law. What was it Lucifer did? He transgressed the law. He transgressed the law. Now, you and I need to understand that God's government is founded on law. And Christians do not understand that the universe is a kingdom. The Bible says Satan has a kingdom. If Satan cast out Satan, his kingdom shall not stand. The devil has a kingdom that is highly organized. The kingdom of darkness. 
It's an invisible kingdom, but a kingdom nonetheless. Something invisible is still real. You don't have to see it for it to be real. He has a kingdom, and he has leaders in certain positions. Jesus Christ has a kingdom. And he wants you and me in that kingdom permanently, eternally, by living a life of obedience to the laws that regulate his kingdom. You see, let me put it as simply as I possibly can. Life on this earth for the believer in Christ is holy rehearsal. You and I are practicing the life that will be required of us in the new world. Because the life in the new world is the very life that people live in heaven right now. God does not have two standards of living. He has one. That's his law. You didn't get it. That's what I feel. You didn't get it. It's my fault. Maybe no one's praying for me. No one is saying, put the words in this man's mouth. Let me try again. Or the devil is trying to tie up my tongue. God's law is the only standard of behavior he accepts throughout the universe. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Peter says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth what? Righteousness. What righteousness? Romans 8, verse 3 and 4, The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Christ came to show that this high standard God had for the angels and still has, the standard he had for Lucifer, the standard he had for Adam and Eve, is the same standard that Lucifer attacked through disobedience. On this earth, if enough people break a law, what do people tend to do? Change it. You change it. You change it. Get rid of it. Not with God. Not with God. Because God with him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Right is right with God. It has always been what it is. It is now and will always be what it was. God does not change. And the standard that God accepts has never changed and will never change. Every government has a constitution. In these United States, any law that seems contrary to that sacred document called the Constitution can be thrown out of court. It's unconstitutional. That is the standard. All laws are measured by that standard. Let me tell you, all issues of right and wrong in the government of the universe headed by God, all these issues are measured by one standard, the Ten Commandments. And so in love, God sent Christ. You see, when Lucifer sinned, a fight broke out in heaven. Don't ask me how it transpired, I don't know. What weapons we use, I'm not concerned. All I know is, hallelujah, Jesus won. And he won that battle, he can win the private battles in your life and in mine. 
threw him out. Because Christ had to defend his government. He had to defend his kingdom. Because to allow the violation of the law without penalty and payment would have been to put the kingdom in jeopardy of collapse. And God could not do that. And so God put Lucifer out and all the angels that were with him. One third of all the angels. How many angels are there in heaven? No one knows. God knows no one else. The Bible gives no specific answer. Thousands of thousands and ten thousand times. Ten thousand. However many they are, Lucifer deceives one third. One third of a number that cannot be counted is itself beyond computation. What do I mean? You cut a slice from an orange and that slice has all the properties of the rest of the orange. If a number can't be counted, one third of it perhaps can't be counted either. But whatever it is, Lucifer brought with him one third of the angels. Now, how did he do that? He deceived them. How does Lucifer deceive? Well, Satan. He has only one way. Only one way. He takes what God has said and twists it. But he does not twist it to the point of deformity. Are you with me? He just modifies it, as we say, by a hair. Uh, when I was growing up, we say, a kum. Let's say, it's a kum. And any change in God's standard, whether it be this or a hair, represents a corruption of God's standard. Now you can see this deception. We don't know what Lucifer said in heaven, but we can work back. Are you with me? We can work back because God has given us a mind. Now go to Genesis chapter 3, or chapter 2. My time is running out. Genesis 2. And we're trying to finish up who's the devil. Genesis 2, verses 16, 17. You're familiar with that passage. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, read those four words for me, thou shalt surely die. Now, let's go to verse 4 of chapter 3. Verse 4 of chapter 3. You have that. And the serpent said unto the woman, what? Ye shall not surely die. God said four words. Lucifer said five. Ye shall not surely die. What was the only change? Not. But that is a Mount Everest of a change. Now, listen to me. There are millions. Well, before I tell you. Eve was confronted with, thou shalt surely die, and ye shall not surely die. Those were her choices too. And I have told you over and over, choices come down to two. Life, death, heaven, hell, lost, save, sheep, goat, wheat, tear, Christ the Satan. She had two choices. Thou shalt surely die, ye shall not surely die. Two choices of authority. To show how horrible 
her yielding was. God said, thou shalt surely die. Now, the very grass on which Eve was standing was proof that she could trust the word of God. Because Genesis 1.11, God said, let the earth bring forth grass. And the grass came at God's word. The very tree in which the serpent was coiled. Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. At the word of God, the very serpent himself was made on the sixth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth. Eve was surrounded by evidences that God's word can be trusted and is reliable and should be accepted. She had no evidence, none, that the devil's word or the serpent's word had any power. She had no evidence, none, and yet... In the presence of evidence of the power of God's word. And in the absence of evidence of the power of the devil's word. She chose the devil's word. There are millions of people today. There is no evidence that Sunday is a holy day. None. Are you listening to me? Capital N. Capital O. Capital N. Capital E. And yet... Despite the several occurrences that the seventh day is a Sabbath in God's word, for some reason they choose that which has no evidence. I can't understand. That's the power of the devil to twist your mind. That you're standing, you're looking at something that's polka dot, and you say, ah, that is pinstripe. That's the devil. That is the devil. He deceived angels who are higher than all of us. How? He takes the word of God and twists it slightly. And then we are presented and confronted and faced with the reality of two choices. What God said and what anybody else said. And to the amazement of God, to the shock of those who love truth, most of the world chooses what God has not said. And I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. But I refer to this as evidence. And let me tell you, most people do it sincerely. I am not referring to mean, evil, twisted, satanic people. No, I am talking about people whose quickest word is, Jesus is good. But under the deception of which they are not even aware. That is the devil. The devil gets into churches, families, friends, groups, causes division. 
Now, Satan is so busy, he doesn't have time to care who's right and wrong. It's not his, he's not, he doesn't care. All Satan wants to know is, are they fighting each other? Yes, good. He doesn't care who's right or wrong. Now, we are so deceived, we get caught up in right and wrong. While we should be focusing on righteous and unrighteous. Are you with me? Right and wrong, I've spoken this before I believe, is not the same as righteous and unrighteous. Many right people are unrighteous. The devil knows that if you study God's word, you will discover the power to resist him. So what does he do? He gives you three jobs. And graduate studies. And a boyfriend you can't leave alone. Or a woman who's just on your heels. Or any list of things, all of which are good. None of which come under the criminal code. But all of which draw you from this. As long as the devil keeps you from this, you can go to church as often as you like. Let me, you know, this is a smile of pain. I have never been successful, and I hope I'm speaking the truth in the presence of a living God, to get people to understand that the devil's greatest triumph is to get us to disregard, not deny, disregard, ignore the life-saving truth found in these pages. You're in a church, you have three, four offices, and the offices make you feel so important. You're head deacon, head janitor, you're the most important person in Orange County. No time for God's word. I've got to sweep the church. I've got to, got to do whatever. I sit on the community board for the beautification of uh, uh, Redlands. And I am in charge of reduction of smog in uh, L.A. County. So I don't have time to study God's word. And it is only through, I'm talking to you now, it is only through God's word that there is power to resist a being that has lost none of his wisdom. A being only Christ can take on one on one. But let me tell you, the very power that Christ uses to take him on one-on-one -on -one is in this word. The devil has some of us in prison. And his prison house has several blocks. That block is keeping up with all the fashions of the world. That's that block. A lot of Christians in that block. That block has three padlocks on it, can't get out. I have to keep up with every fashion. But the church needs the money to build a mission station in Nigeria. Mm -mm. I saw that dress on uh, 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 Beyonce, got to get it. I can't look like anybody, I got to get it. And I saw outcasts in a certain suit, got to get that. And I saw 
uh, Brad Pitt with a certain tie. Gotta get it. And I saw Rolling Stones with a certain sneaker. Gotta get it. Gotta get it. And then over here, we have another block called stinginess. I don't want to get all those stuff, all that stuff. No, I don't need it, but I'm not giving any money to anybody. I work for it, I'm keeping it. It's stinginess. That one has six padlocks on it. Then over here, there's another block called pride. The Lord can't tell me anything. I uh, went to school. have two degrees. I did postgraduate work. I wrote several papers. They can be found in some journals. Only six people read. I'm an important man. <laughs> I'm an important man. Pride. Then there's a block called hypocrisy. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Take a look into the heart. A little trial comes, a little tribulation, and you see the very face of the enemy. My beloved brothers and sisters, there is a power abroad called the devil. His intention is to destroy you in hell. And there's a summary of his mission right next to a summary of the mission of Christ. The Bible says, the thief, this is Christ, cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the devil. I am come that they might have and they might have it more abundantly. Now God says, choose. Deuteronomy 30:19. I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you, says God, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, says God, choose life. And today God says, choose life, choose me. And put distance between you and that creature called Satan, whom I made. But I made him Lucifer, light bearer. I made him wiser than any other created being. He had more power than any other angel. But now my children, listen to me. He sinned. He left heaven. Still with that power, still with that wisdom, you cannot contend with him. Hold on to Christ. And obey Christ. Obey Christ. Because the mission of the devil was the overthrow of the kingdom of God. Do you know how suicidal sin is? If the devil had succeeded in destroying God, he would have destroyed himself. Because all life comes from God. But sin is so rabid. Sin just has to destroy. That's the ultimate aim of sin. The destruction of God and the destruction of everything that's godly. That is the ultimate aim of sin. Not just your destruction, the destruction of God. But Lucifer was thrown out, he couldn't do it. Now he destroys us, so he tries. My beloved brothers and sisters, I'm not asking you to sign a card tonight. Mm -mm. I just want you to decide in your heart where you sit. There are two powers on the earth in the universe. Christ, representing the power of good. Satan, representing the power of evil. You and I 
have to choose as Eve was confronted with the word of God and the word of the devil with no evidence of the devil's power. She chose his word. How will you and I choose tonight? Choose God. Choose Christ. Choose obedience to God's law and thereby put yourself on the side of those who defend the constitution of the kingdom of God which is God's law which Satan sought to destroy. I commit myself right now in your presence and the presence of God to stand on the side of God and to bring my life through Christ's power in conformity with his law. How many will say, Lord, make me a supporter of your kingdom. Can I see your hands? Would you stand to your feet, my brothers and sisters? Let us pray. No cars tonight. Pray. Go home thinking of God. He died for us in Christ. Let's obey him and live for him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word, what it reveals of your love. And the enemy, Satan, his hatred of you and your children, that's us. In the name of Christ who conquered Satan, come into our hearts again. Fill us, empower us, give us a mind, a heart to obey you, to be loyal citizens of your kingdom. And Father, when you come, save us and put us at last in that world where all will be righteousness. We pray from our hearts with thanksgiving in Jesus' name and for his sake. Let all God's people say... Amen and amen. God bless you. I love you. Come back tomorrow, 7 o'clock, to hear God's word again. Let me just shake your hands at the door. If I can get through, my friends who are leaving.